0: Welcome back to the Next Frontier podcast, specifically to the Where Stuff Comes From series. Today, I have Artem Milenchuk on the show. He is the founder of Farm Together. He has worked throughout the finance world, a little bit in the agriculture world, and we'll dive into more of that history and how Artem arrived where he is today, uh, quite a lot in the agricultural world. And I'm I'm particularly interested in diving into to how does capital flow into the agricultural ecosystem? Where does our food really come from? And then understanding some of the innovative and unique and individual empowering financial models and financial systems that Artem has experience with and that Farm Together is helping to build um, to empower more individualism, independence, and innovation to create more freedom and flourishing as we're constantly diving into on the Next Frontier podcast. So with all that out of the way, Artem, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. I'd love to start the conversation as I do with pretty much all of the guests on the show by asking who is Artem milenchuk in 2022? What are you focused on? What are you building? What are you creating? What are you passionate about?
1: Thank you, Maxim. Great to be on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm the founder of Farm Together. Farm Together is a farmland enabled, uh, sorry, a farmland uh, investment platform enabled by tech. And we're based in the United States, focused only on United States agriculture. And our mission is to drive scalable transformative capital to farmers and landowners to bring about this new sustainability and agri-revolution and keep increasing the food production, bringing better quality food to everyone.
0: With that said, I'd love to dive into your background a little bit more and how you came to doing the work that you're doing now. And I had tongue-in-cheekingly, I don't know if that's a phrase, uh, frame the question in my notes is, are you a farmer who went into finance or a financier who went into farming? Now, I know that you guys aren't actually in the business of farming and farmers across the United States do absolutely incredible work. Um, and you're more on the facilitation side. But if you could give us an overview, what's your background? How did you get to this point in your career? And what? how did Farm Together come to be?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm a financier turned farmer. Um, my background is as follows. Uh, born and raised in Russia, grew up in Moscow, uh, lived through the collapse of the Soviet Union as a you know younger child, then through the sort of what we call the wild nineties. In, in Russia and then sort of in the early years. Um, and uh, really, I think for me, the importance of food and farmland has always been ingrained in, into my upbringing, uh, especially in the early years, food security and food abundance was non-existent in, uh, in Russia. Um, everyone had these little patches of land that you worked over the summer to make sure that you actually had food to eat in the winter. So, we survived on potatoes from our grandparents, a little patch of land. Um, And so, I think that to me always stayed kind of this importance and timelessness of food and, and land. Like, no matter what happens, right? You can go back literally millennia and you always measured your wealth and your security by did you have land? Did you have food? And so, um, you know some of your themes, Max, and I will we'll talk about is the sort of return to value and violence, and a lot of the violence happens over food and land. So it's it's really uh, it's really great to be in something that is so central to our very civilization and existence. But um, to kind of finish, or sort of the second part of my story, um, the the same kind of thing that happened with with the country, the collapse of one economic system going through this another system of wild capitalism and then kind of a more traditional sort of middle-classish type um, environment it got me really interested in financing and economics and how proper allocation of resources and incentives can either create wealth and abundance or create poverty, right? You look at Venezuela well and Norway, so, you know, countries with both tremendous natural resources, but very different uh, wealth and very different um, quality of life. And so I went to economics, finance, worked in uh, investment banking for a few years, and then I moved to Canada, Toronto, in 2007. Um, really attracted by I think the diversity and vibrancy of of uh, US, and kind of wanting to be at the forefront of the financial markets. And then for ten years before starting Farm Together in 2018, and 2017, um, I worked in finance and investing. Uh, a lot of it was around food and agriculture, and so got a really good. Understanding of those sectors, and so a, a huge opportunity in in farmland. Fascinating!
0: I didn't think we were going to go here on this conversation, and it it, it, it hits home for me when you're talking about um, you know farming locally in your communities and at your at your house to 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 eat. You know, in the '90s after the fall of the USSR, that's that's really profound. Um, this is completely irrelevant to the conversation, but I've read a bunch about the Holodomor in Ukraine and a bunch of the famines that took place as a result of communism, both in China and um, and in you know the Soviet bloc countries. Um, and it was it's so tragic. Uh, so it's it's really interesting to hear how you know that history impacted your career path and how you've come to think about farmland and merging it with resource allocation. So that's pretty cool. Um, I've, I'm also pretty interested in the victory garden concept that, that the states had during World War II. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Um, I am, yeah. But there's a whole. I mean, if you're if you're familiar with it, maybe maybe you're you're better to to talk through to talk through it. But what's your take on kind of the victory garden victory garden phenomenon, the urban farming paradigm, and how that might contrast with some of the the larger agriculture ecosystem? And this might make more sense as we get deeper into understanding how ag works. In later in the conversation, but just because you mentioned it, I'd love to hear mm-hmm. your take on kind of the Victory Garden urban farming movements. Yeah, and I
1: know about Victory Gardens a little bit. Um, It's the sort of during World War II, uh, people were encouraged to kind of grow more so that there was more food available and it was a way to more fully utilize our resources. Look, I'm a huge fan of kind of that community gardening. You know, in New York, they have this little patches of land straight in the middle of the urban jungle. And I think it's just as um the freshness of produce is unparalleled when it's you know comes literally from from your place and especially for easier to grow uh kind of call it higher value um crops like herbs for example those are so easy to grow even inside your apartment Uh, and there's just something um very rewarding in being able to grow tomatoes and then grab them go make an omelette or something uh Unfortunately, just the basic math, the economics, uh, doesn't work for large-scale food production that we need. Um, And as much as uh, you know, we all want to eat like fresh and healthy. And again, the big cities, you want to go all full hipster and have like ultra local chicken. (laughs) Um, It's just the math doesn't work, and we have to remember that most people, for them, like they care deeply about food prices. It's really important, and so we are at farm together very pragmatic about it you know as much as we want to drive forward the kind of more edgy innovative healthier regenerative sustainable foods uh we understand that we gotta feed the people uh yeah.
0: Well, a note about Victory Gardens, a huge part of it, too, was the logistics infrastructure. And, I'm, and we'll get into this, too. But from my understanding, the logistics infrastructure of agriculture is very substantial, especially back in the in the 30s and 40s, when the United States had industrialized to fight the Nazis and mm. you know and the Japanese. Um, and being able to free up some of the logistics capacity from having to go do like internal agricultural movements was really helpful. And the Victory Gardens help augment, especially some of the bulkier items like produce and vegetables where you get a lot of your nutrients from. They helped augment some of the logistics capacity in addition. So this agriculture ecosystem and how it all comes together anti-fragile, it seems fascinating and fascinating problems to tackle. Um okay, very, very cool. So so when it comes to to agriculture, and this maybe is a is a good is a good pivot pivot into here, um could we explore and just spend a few minutes breaking down how the agriculture ecosystem works uh, like how does how does how does farmland play into this how does investing in farmland play into this how does stuff move around the country and how does the work that you're doing bringing you know retail investor dollars into farmland result in food in my belly for example or food in your investors belly
1: yeah absolutely um, so maybe just to give a lay of the landscape a little bit for United States. So there's about um, 900 million acres of farmland, which includes pasture land and cropland. It's farmed and owned by about 2 million farmers. S-
0: sorry, sorry to interrupt. I'm going to go just really specific. Could you define pasture land or, or I don't know what the other is? Yeah, absolutely. So
1: pasture land is where you'll graze your livestock. And then cropland is where you grow your crops. Uh, So we have about 2 million farm owners, and what's really important to note is that almost all land in the United States, 98% is owned by families, and it is a very fragmented ownership and market. So about 70% of land is in farms that are less than a few hundred acres, less than $10 million in value. So I think for a lot of people that I talk to when I talk about what I do, they'll say, "Oh." Isn't all farmland owned by a few large corporations? Oh, I heard Bill Gates is like the largest farm owner, which is true, but still he owns only a few hundred thousand acres, which is like 0.0 something percent of the total land value. So, um, and most of land in the US is actually farmland. So it's um, a huge but very fragmented market. The way it works is that farmers, and that this is where the big corporations do come in where the farmers will farm the land and uh, about 60% of land is farmed by farm owners, meaning that you own the land and you farm it. And 40% of land is rented. So it's also very common to rent the land. I know we have this um, kind of a little bit of romantic notion of the red barn, the farmer who's been doing it like for five generations. And it's like this one field. In reality, it's more complicated. Um, you have farmers owning land. They might be renting out some of their land. They might be renting some other land. They might be contract operating some land. So they run it as a business, and um, it's very kind of fascinating how how it plays in, on the level of individual communities. Uh, but yeah, they will uh, they will grow the crops um, for kind of the large crops, corn, soybean. There's a robust system of uh, insurance uh, that protects you from adverse weather events, so that you're not wiped out. Um, and it's it's not uncommon for countries to have that. In fact, I believe most countries have some sort of a uh, level of protection for the farmers because you have to remember this is not just about profitability. You're talking about national security, so it's very very important. And,
0: and that yeah. and that that's federally insured, or that's like just requirements and regulations that require the federal it's is it so there's like an FDIC risk? like a, like the FDIC for consumer deposits there's a similar program for, there's yes yeah, similar farmland. B-
1: for farmland and there's occasional also more commercial private insurance available for oh, different types of risks um uh, i don't want to get too deep into it because yeah no, i
0: I'm just going to note for the yeah. audience that I'll probably put a link link to this as I go back and create the show notes, but I'm curious if that's a result of the Dust Bowl and what was some of the things that led to the Great Depression, you know, back in the 20s and whatnot. I'll, I'll do some yeah. research. I'll we'll link to it in the in the
1: uh show and, notes. It's a fascinating topic. For example, you know, in, in Canada, there is a a whole um system of regulations for uh, um for egg producers <laughs> that we could get into. Um but anyway, the um the large corporations come into play on the side of inputs. So, you know, I've heard about Monsanto, um, on about John Deere, and on the side of outputs where large traders like Cargill will uh, aggregate uh, production from a lot of farmers. Um, we at Farm Together deal more so with what's called permanent crops. So this is within uh, the crop space. You have what's called raw crops or annual crops where you plant them every year, like corn. Uh, permanent crops will be your trees and bushes, so almonds, pistachios, walnuts, apples. Meaning that you put them in once, and then they yield a harvest every year. Uh, those markets are smaller, less regulated, have less protection, and are more kind of that very hardcore, you know, uh, competitive business, free for all, uh, where you really need to know what you're doing. And that's the the markets we play in. Those markets typically have higher returns, but also high volatility. And we know we'll talk more about sort of uh, that later. Um, and then, you know, those markets have this amazing organization. So there are almond boards, for example, California almond board. And again, I don't want to get too specific. But, you know, the reason we all suddenly drink almond milk is because the almond growers have a body said, like, hey, we should promote almond use because uh, we need to sell it. So there's- oh, don't <laughs> forget. Don't forget about <laughs> almond
0: flour and and all these alternative flowers that are popping up, which I'm assuming also come from these almond boards. That's right, but yeah, almond yeah, yeah. flowers. Ga- almond flower is a game changer.
1: <laughs> Indeed, so, um, and then look, the, the, the agricultural market is fascinating. I mean, US uh, is a huge ag exporter. I think it exports, let me just check my, my notes. So 2021 was the record year, 177 billion exported up 18% from 2020. Up fourteen percent from the record that was set in twenty fourteen. So you have an incredible supplier of high quality food to to the world, and I think that's something a lot of people have no idea. Uh, but is that um, net or is that is that gross? Like we're net exporting? Uh, I believe that is uh, net, but I would double check. Yeah, I think that's that so is, interesting. Oh, okay, yeah. we can link
0: it in the show notes too. But that's still mm-hmm. a huge number. Um,
1: yeah, that's a good question. I think I think it's gross, but it's definitely uh US is a net exporter
0: of food. Okay. And what are some of the what are some so we've broken down there's kind of two types of agricultural land. Mm-hmm. There's the 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 pasture land, and then there's more more cropland. Land. And then within the cropland, there's kind of the the are they perennial crops like like soybean, wheat, et cetera, that you plant every mm-hmm. season, and there's big industrial complexes that help facilitate. The, the harvest of extremely efficient wheat productions and there's also financial systems in place to prevent the farms from going out of business even if there is a bad yield one yeah. one season so you know, there might be lower yields but at least the businesses are still there and established so they have the infrastructure and the whole industry doesn't just crumble um mm-hmm. and then you were describing how within the 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 cropland there's these permaculture permanent
1: la- permanent crops like nut trees yeah, yeah to uh, kind of correct, but I think the perennial plants are uh, basically, would be like your apples. Uh, Okay, uh, sorry. Whereas the annual agriculture would be the, yeah, the corn, soybean, uh, sort of that you need to kind of replant um, every year, yeah.
0: Cool, so thank thank you for breaking that down. And so all of that moves through complex logistics ecosystems Mm -hmm. across the country, and then we end up exporting a ton of it to other countries. And that might be a good transition for how how could we think about the resiliency or the anti-fragility of the U.S. agricultural system, if that makes sense?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, U.S. is amazing in so many different ways. There's, you know, for listeners interested in geopolitics, there's uh, some kind of books where they call U.S. the inevitable empire, where the Mississippi River is incredible because river transportation is so incredibly cheap and you have you know, the north and the south. And then the diversity of climates in the United States is absolutely incredible. I mean, when I moved here from, from Russia, it just blew my mind how you could live some places and, and you'll have a temperate, you know, early fall weather in San Francisco and then you could drive two hours and be like in Tahoe and, and snowboard or drive a few hours down and then you're like on the beach and there's the sun. Just incredible. Um, So US has very resilient um, diversity of the ecosystem. And of course, climate change is, is very important, but um, even within California, which gets a lot of, I think, unfair um, flag for its water issues, like which do exist, but those are uh, You have, if you start moving more north or to different kind of regions that are slowly starting getting warmer, then you get a lot of water. So there's, so it, like the question you ask is complex, right? At individual level, at like specific level, you have to have sometimes serious existential issues. At the total US level, we're definitely resilient enough to be able to move around in terms of agriculture and um, transportation to to solve for it. Um, We do, of course, just as a country need to invest a ton in infrastructure, right? Everything Um, but overall, as kind of from a climate perspective and a soils perspective, we have so much, yeah.
0: And just because I've I've been hearing murmurs about it, um, I'm going to ignore the supply chain issues because I think Mm -hmm. I'd like to do another podcast on that, but a lot of the work that we've done on this podcast is asking the questions of where stuff comes from, particularly in the manufacturing Mm -hmm. and industrial-based supply chains. And so we've, we've gone down some rabbit holes about, Say tractor parts not being able to come in from John Deere Mm, and not having right to not having rights to repair the tractors and farmers also Mm -hmm. just can't get they can't make semiconductors at home so Mm -hmm. they have tractors that are sitting idle um, idle never say that word properly. so I'll, I'll ignore that piece of, of the conversation for a second. And I know that those supply chain issues are really serious for the agriculture community right now or for the farming community right now, for our farming ecosystem. But on the on the drought side and on some of the the, the data driven trends that you might be seeing in some of your underwriting and whatnot, how how can our listeners frame some of the conversations and murmurs that are happening around droughts in the United States and mm-hmm. you know soil quality and degradation? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, droughts are happening. Um, and on the one hand, uh, droughts, uh, California, you know, where we are very active is a great example. Droughts are normal in California, have been going on for centuries. They will slowly get more severe, no, no doubt. Um, and there's other places where water security will become more and more of an issue. And we spend a lot of time on that. And water security is not an issue just for US, it's an issue globally. Uh, it's probably water and food is two things that have again driven our civilization for centuries. Um, California specifically, I'll talk about that because I think uh, one is it gets a lot of headlines in the press. And two, it's actually the uh, an absolute powerhouse. So more than half of our fruits, vegetables and nuts in U.S. are produced in California. Yeah. Wow! Really? Yeah, seventy percent of all of all nuts are produced in California. Eighty percent, wow. close to that, of all almonds in the world are produced in California.
0: Wow. Okay, I really like almonds. We need to make sure that California has more. We'll <laughs> take care of you.
1: We'll take care of you, Max. Don't worry. Uh, so the the issues that California faces are real, and that's why the state passed. Few years ago what's called the sustainable uh, groundwater management act sigma and that act is expected to follow or take out of production about a million acres of farmland depending on who you ask and so there's about nine ten millions so there'll be a million less and that is all done so that there is actually sustainable water management going forward and you have to you know almonds again since we're talking about they also get a lot of unfair flack for using too much water almonds actually one of the most efficient crops in terms of water usage on a dollar basis. When you look at how much profit uh, the almond generates. Probably on a calorie efficient. basis too, no? Possibly. Calorie basis, health basis, yeah. California still grows a lot of like row crops, alfalfa, alpha, that it shouldn't be grown because there's much better places to grow that, but uh, it's just historical stuff. So um, yeah, droughts will continue. They get, will get probably more severe, more extreme weather. But again, overall, uh, you know, the agriculture will stay resilient. And uh, you know that's why we have other states. We have Oregon. We have Washington. that has amazing water. There's some experimentation going around growing almonds. Another place outside California is just California has such an amazing, unique climate. And talking about infrastructure, uh, ports, logistics, right? It's not just like where you grow it. You also need to get it to the consumer. I mean, California is still really strong, and um, hopefully, you know, we'll we'll get the 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 right. Um, sort of decisions made at state level, federal level to continue supporting that. And we had some legislation passed to support the water infrastructure. So we'll see how that goes.
0: Okay. Uh, I would love to use almonds as a case study for kind yeah. of understanding, okay, you guys buy a farm, then what happens and mm-hmm. how does it get into my belly and coming back to yeah. that in one second. <laughs> um, something, a pressing question that I don't think I, we talked about initially on the drought question why the hell can't we just build a pipeline from Maine where they have way too much water to California <laughs> where they don't have enough water or yeah. build a desalination plant on the coast of California yeah. to, to facilitate that, that those water rights like they do in Israel? There's a great book I'll recommend <laughs> yeah. called, um, oh my God, I'm blanking on the name. I'll link it in the show notes um, about how Israel <laughs> pioneered water and agriculture and water management and whatnot, but that's the side. So why can't we build pipelines to do that?
1: Oh, man, Max, I mean that's a trillion-dollar question, probably literally. uh, And I wish I had, look, I honestly, I don't know. I mean, it's a complicated question. Desalination plants, I think, uh, they even tried that in South California, and it's a mix of just expense. And then the um, sort of, you know, as always, like the NIMBES, the local uh, communities um, being against that, the other part, you know, even in California, we have a saying that there's actually enough water in California, it's just not in the right places. So you get what you need is um a lot of the water just flows to the oceans. And so you just need not we don't need to build a pipe from Maine. <laughs> we just stick to California. Um we just need to invest in the infrastructure there. Um, but you know, that's honestly the question you ask is part of like a much bigger question of. How much can we build in the United States? You know, with the building that extremely expensive high-speed rail in California. Uh, you know, we have bridges that are getting all the roads. Uh, I mean, just gotta wait for Elon Musk to get interested in the water site and create like or, a or, or boring or, company for <laughs> tunnels for water. Maybe that's a thing.
0: Better yet, farm together 10 years from now is gonna host yeah. the <laughs> first pipeline building pipeline building crowdfunded uh, Crowd yeah, investment that's right. pro- that's project. Right. Yeah. You're a trillion dollars to go do that <laughs> initiative. That's right. Um okay, great. So now let's come back to the the almonds and how they end up in my mm-hmm. belly. Um where you've got so you guys facilitate an investment group online and and mm-hmm. maybe we can we can link to a video in the description just explaining mm-hmm. how the farm together platform works and the, the crowd investment theme mm-hmm. in general, but someone who retail investor whoever it is comes into one of these groups that you guys are putting together, you're mm-hmm. buying the land and then you're having someone else operate the land. I'm
1: assuming that that's the way that it works.
0: That's right. Yeah. I can, I can walk. Yeah. So, uh, so if you guys can different. go through and just, and explain like, how does that work?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, at a very basic level, uh, what we're trying to do is to give you the, the investor, meaning the movement in the land price and then the income from the farm, which can take a variety of, streams from rent that a farmer pays to all the way to a profit from actual business and you receive the profit. But here's how it works, yeah. So um, typically we will um, scour wide and deep for the right uh, land. Uh, and we can talk about this a bit later, but there's a lot of technology that goes into that. And we will identify a piece of land that we like. We will, we'll look at a lot of factors from you know, water to price to uh, kind of the location to what the varieties the farm grows, soil, uh, all those things. Uh, and then at the same time that we do that, we will also look for an experienced farming group to farm it for us. And That is a very common practice that there is farmers that will just essentially contract operate farms where they said, look, um, sometimes they'll have their own farm, sometimes they'll say, look, we don't want to be taking on all the risks of weather, all that kind of stuff. We just want to get paid for us to kill them. And so they'll operate the farm and they're very reputable. They know what they're doing. They'll have the equipment, everything, the, the teams. So we will sign a farm management contract with those people. We will buy the farm and then... Uh, that kind of structure goes into a Delaware LLC. So it's an individual legal entity, limited liability corporation that will own the farm and farm together management LLC, a structure that we own 100% of will manage that farm. And so we take care of everything A to Z. So it's all the agricultural stuff. So we oversee the operator, all the accounting stuff, uh, selling the crops, uh, delivering you the investor with, quarterly reports, uh, updates on the farm. We post pictures that are really beautiful. Um, uh, we'll send you your tax and financial information. So really it's like for you, you can be invest and forget. And for the investor, the way it looks is that, you register on the website, it's only available unfortunately right now to accredited investors, meaning that you need to pass a certain threshold in terms of income or net assets. Uh, but once you register and verify that you are an accredited investor, um, you can can take a look at what are the deals that are live right now. And we'll put out a lot of information. We'll do a webinar. You can read kind of very easy to understand risk reward profile of the farm. Um, Ask out team questions if you need to. So take your time. Uh, Although I will say sometimes the deals will sell out very quickly in a matter of like minutes, hours. Um, And then if you're ready, you just uh, go online, you click invest, you choose your amount. Minimum is 15,000. Uh, you sign the documents electronically and you get to go. Like you could actually own an almond farm in like three minutes.
0: <laughs> so once that process is done, what happens and what is the what is the process of actually, um, I guess this is outside of your Farm Together's mm-hmm. domain, but maybe if you can just illustrate it for us, what it takes to actually operate one of these farms. Um, so you, oh, yeah, do, you have, contract the management so a management yeah, company, what so does that look like?
1: We, yeah, we'll take... We'll take a element farm as an example so every farm will have a different growing cycle right but it's um, you know we start started say from harvest right the trees are harvested then uh, the harvest is sold you know you receive the proceeds then as the trees go into the winter there's sort of protocols that we run to you know make sure there's no pets running around the trees are properly fertilized um, Sometimes you know, when it gets cold, you want to run sprinklers to keep the trees warm. And uh, you know, important to note for farming that the weather is absolutely one of the key factors. And so it's very normal for a farm to let's say experience a frost event where sometimes you can lose all your harvest that year. Um, it's normal that you know, some of your trees might get damaged. Um, uh, so th- there are those risks that, which is why we recommend that you actually build a portfolio of farms. You don't only own one farm, right? It's very important as in everything to diversify. And so a lot of our investors, of course, own, you know, five, 10, some of them, 15, 17 farms. Um, So, um, but once kind of the farm goes through that, the winter, then you'll have the bloom. Beautiful, beautiful time of the year. we post pictures, so you'll see kind of just a amazing uh very, very pastel uh, experience. <laughs> um the so the operators they will constantly visit the farms, they'll make sure that the farms are properly watered, uh, fertilizer and pesticides applied as needed during the year, so that uh we also increasingly are using more and more tech uh, water sensors, even sometimes like cameras. To monitor the farm, right? Making sure that um, you know, everything is properly taken care of. So almond trees, some of them are what's called self-pollinating. Some of them you need to bring bees. So it's very when you do need to the whole bee industry. So you're gonna know you're gonna have a bee guy that <laughs> will show up and he'll put his bees, and the bees will fly around, pollinate, and take the bees away. And um, increasingly we're moving to self-pollinating varieties because of course of the you know the colony collapse disorder, you know, the whole separate business we'd like to get into one day, which is like bees together, uh, like farm together, just to invest in the bee market. Uh, it's a fascinating oh, wow. space. I'm,
0: I might have to have <laughs> you introduce me to a bee guy to, uh, to do a where yeah. stuff comes from conversation about the bee industry. Oh, That'd absolutely. Be great. That is a
1: fascinating space. Um, um But yeah, look, that's, um, that's really kind of the cycle end. Again, it's all done by our operators. We just uh, provide oversight, ad- advisory. Uh, we have people on the team that have spent you know, 20, 30 years in the farm business, have done it all, seen it all, that uh, kind of make sure that um, we oversee the operators. And look, it's it's like, I will say like farming is not for the faint of heart. You have all kinds of things, You know, like just this year, we went for supply chain issues, input prices went through the roof. like you talked about the John Deere issues. Uh, there's still a backlog of almond harvest because of the COVID situation with the port. So it is a lot, a lot of things that happen. And um, that's why we're here. But uh, definitely, there are also risks involved. And uh, it's by no means, of course, guaranteed like any investment. So we do talk about risks quite a bit and want to make sure people go into it with open eyes. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's um, you know, the long-term returns and the diversification profile of And We can talk about that a little later with the numbers of but it's it's
0: really a, a quite compelling. Cool. and and it, it's it's not only the the investment angle. I think you might have a very unique unique position, having kind of been at the forefront of developing this new capital model and this new let's call it resource ad- allocation model. Mm-hmm. Because you are a financier who turned farmer, wink, wink. Um, yeah. <laughs> you have a unique a unique perspective on kind of having a whole whole of industry top level. You know mm-hmm. view and, and and um and facility and understanding of, of how these different pieces are playing together so it's cool to hear that from you um and and learn about that so w- with that said it would be great to maybe understand a little bit more how you guys are using technology in your business mm-hmm. so I'm just going to read the little blurb I wrote in my notes for this because I think it's well well framed. But mm-hmm. when it comes to investing in farmland and analyzing opportunities, how is technology empowering higher fidelity decision making? So mm-hmm. my lens on this, uh, and an area that I'm really interested in right now, is using high tech data streams. So particularly sure. more in the satellite and drone world. Mm-hmm. So kind of imaging and data that can get really high high up and take a bunch of a bunch of bunch of pictures. Um, to make better business decisions. And I think something that I try to do on this podcast is tease out tactical business insights that folks who are interested in asking questions about where stuff comes from and taking a, you know a step back in this whole industry plus innovation plus individualism equals freedom and flourishing question um that they can walk away from this conversation with so these high-tech data streams and using them to make better decision making better decisions i think is really fun and cool and important as well and i think there's a lot to learn about this from the finance world uh you know the finance world has been using this to look at the plots of land and how many cars are in you know retail mall lots for for probably maybe even a decade now um and I imagine doing underwriting for farms, specifically agricultural land, where you don't have mm-hmm. you know, the problems of what, where you would want to look inside a factory. You can't, because there's a roof. You guys just can see it all from space. Oh, that's right, yeah. Um, so I'd be interested in hearing like, how are you guys building and using kind of, let's call it open source or very easily accessible data to do your farmland investing and some of your underwriting and the things that you're thinking about in this farm management and whatnot.
1: Absolutely. Um, So Max, here is how I thought about this when I started the company, and here's how I think about it today. There's actually two things that the technology enables in farmland investing. And one is obvious, right? It's better decisions, right? And we'll talk about that. And it's everything you described and more. The second one is way less obvious, but I would almost argue is much more important and more game-changing. And that is not making better decision, but making more decisions. And let me explain what I mean by that. So I'll start maybe a little far uh, and kind of a little bit at the beginning. What blew my mind when I started Farm Together was how big the market is. It's a $3 trillion market of land in the United States. The amount of investment in the space of land owned by investors and like capital flowing to landowners to farms is actually tiny, given the size of the market altogether. In uh, in the world, which is ten trillion dollar market plus, there's about fifty billion dollars invested in the space by investors, which is so so tiny. Because when you look at like real estate, you know the it's trillions, right? It's just the uh, uh, and given the importance of, of ag and farmland to uh, our very survival and water, it's just I think it's almost criminal how much capital goes to like this vital industry. As I started looking, so, so, so
0: you're saying just before you get into that, you're saying there's only 50 billion dollars that is kind of institutional capital or not even institutional right. capital but invested capital that's yep. deployed into the three trillion dollars of farmland.
1: Re- in the US and then there's 10
0: trillion yeah. around the
1: world. Got it. Yeah. U.S. has maybe like 20, 30 uh, billion, maybe a little bit more. So, and the the whole reason, well, one of the big reasons for that is that we come back to what we talked about earlier. It's a very fragmented market. It's also in a lot of ways, a very opaque market. Um, there's no Zillow's for farmland, there's no you know, red fence, there's very little in terms of tech tools to scalably uh, source, underwrite, analyze farmland. And so that is a big reason why we have not seen the same amount of kind of financial sophistication innovation in farmland before is that it's really hard for a large financial player, a bank or a fund uh, to really go and say, okay, I'm going to invest into 100 farms. Because if we owe one farm is 10 million, 100 farms is a billion, which is what really moves the needle for large players. And so the largest fund in US maybe has like three, five billion dollars under management. <laughs> so this all takes me in a very roundabout way to technology and how farm to get applied it, how things about it. We are building a lot of internal tools that we call Pera that allow us to very quickly actually set a price for farm. And to build scenario analysis for the farm, to build financial models for the farm, and then that means that our investment team—and there's very few people in the US that actually can uh, analyze farm as well. Like it is not—you're not an investment banker from Wall Street—but it's like thousands of them. There's maybe like 30 people <laughs> worth they sold that would be really good at this. And so um, this is a way for us. You know, we call it like a Iron Man suit. For our investment team where they're able to fly around and do way more deals and underwrite way more deals so that's one way in which we use technology and so that technology is now let's talk about the tech so it is satellites it's all kinds of different imagery as well as drone footage aerial imagery it is information from counties uh, that allows us to infer a lot of information either directly or indirectly about uh, the land from things like historical fertilized application uh, like the water table profile, soil quality, uh, elevation, uh, accessibility of local infrastructure, roads. Uh, what are the uh, what is the labor availability and how much do they get paid? Uh, closeness to drain elevators, all those things right all goes into underwriting land. so there's and information is exploding and kind of the land level. so you know from Google Maps, Google Earth, there's just so much more. Uh, that's becoming available and then on the farm level as farmers are using more and more iot on like internet of things the on farm sensors more and more of that data is becoming available to us that we can use or they provide uh that allows us to just very very quickly and at a high level of fidelity as you said understand the farm and not just like a farm as it is today right because oftentimes we will redevelop the farm we can also say hey this Field of alpha alpha could actually be an almond orchard and this specific variety. Um, another thing that is actually really fascinating. So when you're looking at a farm, it's not open just like an almond farm. When we look at apple farms, we can have like multiple varieties planted, pairs, this, that, that um, allow us to maximize the value of that piece of land. But to manually kind of understand what you should plant, it's not that easy. So you almost have to run this like Dynamic optimization calculations, where you're manually trying to like run fifty thousand scenarios, like
0: how many trees there should be. Yeah, worked. and then and then you meet some techie who's like, "Dude, why don't you just make a GMO?" And then you just a yeah. totally different analysis that didn't exist before, and it's yeah, yeah. confusing probably.
1: Um, and you know, yeah. sort of the last part you touch yeah. is to the end markets, analyzing what's going on in the global markets, being able to catch the information on shipping. Availability. What are the demand patterns for different crops? How are they changing? So, you, you rapidly get into like this big data and like macro analysis uh, components that
0: and you're probably de- from, Yeah, you're you're also probably dealing with with uh, not only supply chains, but you're dealing with with pressures um, geopolitically that are that are crazy. And then the other piece of it is your lead times because you're freaking growing crops. Mm-hmm. It's probably very. Um, difficult to navigate the lead time, oh, shelf lives, et oh man, Is that a Max, consideration? And It's not only,
1: so it's, you know, it's not at all. So, and I'm so glad you mentioned it. Um, there's sort of lead time up uh, for um, row crop farmers where every uh, kind of corn farm is also like actually soybean farmer. And there's this whole ratio of corn to soybean prices that you think about. And yeah, every year you'll sort of go, oh, what do I think about the... Um, you know the, the protectionist policies that US has with China to think about like this really global issues that you decide about planting like corn, soybeans. But then you have uh, permanent crops where trees sometimes can take like pecans five to 10 years before they fully mature. <laughs> you want to think talk about like long-term planning. You have to sometimes think like 10 years ahead of what you're going to plant and thinking about this like really structural issues around you know maybe we'll get to the know geopolitics uh, trade flows trade alliances all those things yeah
0: fascinating okay so tech is very important and i'm not going to ask you to reveal too much of your of your secret sauce here um but that's so cool and it's such a complex problem and and i mean it makes sense that there's 50 billion dollars invested in a in a 10 trillion dollar industry um but I, I would imagine that there's so much cap, not capital efficiencies, but innovation that could be happening if there were a more. I don't want to say healthier, but a a um, what's the right word? Maybe you have a word for what I'm trying to say here. That's but more uh, dynamic,
1: yeah. versatile, there you and go. diverse. Yeah, more dynamic
0: system. set of of capital flows into Absolutely. this. Into this. It, don't get this me system. started,
1: Evan, on that. So what, one other thing that um, I want to mention um, for uh, sort of a lot of every day people, they have this notion that farmers just go bankrupt all the time, left and right. Farming makes no money. And they always reply to that, well one, if that was true, then we wouldn't have any food. <laughs> but uh, farming actually is one of the, there was a statistic like a couple of years ago, there was something like US Today ran an article saying there was like six, 700 bankruptcies happened in US or so farmers. And it was like a catastrophe. Well, there's 2 million farmers, it's again, it's like a rounding error of how many farmers go bankrupt so actually what's really important to note on a total farmland asset level the debt to asset ratio uh, on farmland is 13 percent like one three it's actually a very unbelevered industry because if you look at like s p 500 real estate I mean timber interest so yeah farm farming is actually very unbelevered and then in terms of kind of financial, uh, capital. Look, we work with some of the largest growers in the country. We work with Raptor, which is the largest hazelnut grower. They can work with whoever, and they do, but they work with us because we provide incredibly flexible, creative capital that they just cannot get anywhere else.
0: Cool. Um, one tactical question on that on that riff, and then moving into the next section. Yeah, you mentioned IoT, and I'm just curious, given the, the tech focus of the podcast, how saturated is the farm market with iot particularly because you mentioned that it was yeah. so segmented so is this more of like a like a direct to farmer business model with the iot companies that are coming out mm-hmm. is the iot market pretty segmented too and there's a lot of innovation happening on a more local basis how can you just explain how that works briefly yeah,
1: and and look and this is where we are spending a lot of time this year actually looking into this and we'll invest more and more time um I, I of course know more than sort of everyday person. I'm not deeply in that market. So I don't want to speak totally okay. too yeah, much totally. too quickly. But look, John Deere is obviously a huge player. There's a lot of like innovation happening, a lot of fragmented uh market there. Um and I think there's still not like yet dominant players that have emerged. And it's both direct to farm as well as through distribution with again like a larger players.
0: Is there a is there a I'm, I'll, I'll look up. I'll look into this mm-hmm. too. But is there a, a venture fund ecosystem around like IoT oh, specific farm tech? I'm yeah, sure there's yeah. a ton of capital. Oh, Ag- AgTech
1: there. is a whole industry that yeah. maps around it that do everything from yeah um, to you know new types of kind of micro based fertilizer to yeah to IOTs to drones of course all that stuff. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, moving into the last part of our conversation, I think we have about five minutes left. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to just touch on this theme that I've been thinking about quite a bit of a reversion around the world and how consumers, investors, people, I mean, we're all people who are consumers and investors, both of us, but just people in general uh, and media, uh, the conversation is really shifting back to to understanding value and understanding violence. Mm -hmm. Violence comes from some of the things we're seeing in Ukraine, Taiwan, et cetera. Um, Value comes from some of the, you know, themes we're seeing with how capital's flowing and how folks are spending money and some of the inflationary pressures and understanding what, you know, what we need to live and feed us and you feed us, you know, fuel wise, energy wise, and then, you know, food is fuel. So
1: it's all mm-hmm. part of the same yeah.
0: ecosystem. And, and maybe there's a hint of where I'm going with this, but farmland and the ability to eat is really at the, the cent- center of this. And when we were doing our prep call, you had mentioned the concept of people always needing to eat, which is. Obvious, but not trivial. Um, could you maybe, ex, you know, expand on that and how how you frame that, and also how you frame on that in 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 the grand grand scheme of some of the the reversion to value and violence trends we're seeing across the world, and I'll also just slip in a note about murmurings I mentioned the drought murmurings in the u.s earlier but we're Mm -hmm. hearing murmurings of of what's going on and i I might be saying that word wrong and i'm gonna be really embarrassed if i am on this podcast but the murmurings around the impact on the food supply chain uh from the ukraine war and some of the things that are happening over there so value and violence the reversion there and then the Mm -hmm. fact that people always need to eat
1: yeah absolutely and look i think um i've of course, heard about the version to value and uh, that I agree, I only heard about the version to violence from you, which unfortunately, that seemed to be a potential theme that uh, we have to watch. Um, but um, talking about the value first, so I started in 2017 and 18, 19, 20, even during the pandemic, right up to like five, six months ago, we, we had this very optimistic kind of very growth-centric uh, allocation of capital, um, more and more money to crypto, to crazy ideas, to all kinds of things that were just really out there, um, electric vehicle startups that had no production were valued in billions. So you just had this a lot of very frothy environment. And look, at times, it was um, hard to explain, like why people should invest in farmland that just provides very steady-as-she go kind of uh, low single digits, kind of Um, sorry, single digit to low uh, double team returns, when you can invest in crypto and double your money overnight or something. And then, of course, we had what has happened in the last six months in the financial markets, uh, people losing a lot of money, somewhat permanently, and we're definitely seeing a huge reversion to value where you understand, look, long term, really, reality asserts itself on financial markets and so farmland is absolutely at the center of that as being kind of the most fundamental of things that we need to eat first to have water um and so th- that's going i think to to continue it's been really great to see all that interest coming in the um one thing to mention as well sort of from us farmland standpoint on the one hand i think we're going to see more countries just protecting and investing in their farmers but at the same time you know us is a reliable supplier and reliable ally to so many countries around the world and so i think that with things like uh, climate change making it actually hard in a lot of places to farm u.s having this resilient climate that we talked about will be a supplier of choice for a lot of this countries, especially smaller countries for food and so you get, get coupled with food innovation with um like really high quality i mean US beef is known worldwide as high quality beef. Uh, I think the US farmers tend to tremendously benefit, uh, even with China potentially, right? We'll see how that goes, but um it's not that easy with China. Um on violence, um, it just again comes back to the importance, I think, of well, the US farmer being able to uh, be that almost like supply of last resort for countries, whether it's like Sri Lanka, that had that um, uh the recent event, Ukraine, you know, there's probably more like that we're gonna see, right, uh, of this. Um, and so the importance of food security, water security is I think going to become more and more important. Um, and then once we, we also see from the pandemic, right, the world becoming more global, even though it's kind of, we have themes of deglobalization, but but um, contagion uh, that can spread to food as well, right? Introducing additional risks. Two varieties. I mean, the Florida industry, the citrus industry, decimated by the greening, uh, right, disease, and then had to move to actually California. I mean, think about it. You always thought of Florida like the, the, the orange state, and now it's decimated. So, um, I think that's going to be really important for uh, preventing preventing violence, because a lot of the revolutions we see, they all come from hunger. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even. I would have. Wow. I
0: wish I would have thought about that before this conversation. That would have been a fantastic topic to go into. But maybe we'll have to have you back on to have talk about this, or maybe yeah, we'll pleasure. bring someone who knows it well, because I hadn't thought about the 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 pest conversation and how that might play into some of the geopolitical trends we're seeing around the world. Um, another podcast that I think will will be published right before this one. Um, was with a gentleman who who his whole body of work is around how the U- United States-China relationship. There's been quite a bit of the Chinese Communist Party interfering in the United States' industrial base, um, and one of the areas that are a very interesting area to explore is the kind of pest conversation around interference with the agricultural supply chain in the United States and things that might not be so kosher so to speak Mm -hmm. um and that state of play for example at our home or at my parents home in new jersey there's a whole host of trees that have been blighted with this with this blight that came over from china Mm -hmm. um that's like spread all over and we've had to cut down like six or seven six or seven uh i think chestnut trees it's that's really it's uh, that's a great conversation to have at some point um but Artem, i think we're at the top of the hour and we need to we need to pause this part of the of our hopefully ongoing conversation. It would be great to have you back at some point and hear how farm together is going. Um, thank you so much for diving into these these conversations. Before we pop off, how can people connect with you? Where can people go to learn more about you, about Farm Together? And where do you need support from the audience, etc?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um farmtogether.com, uh, go and go there. It's a website where you'll find a lot of educational resources. We also Put information out on our LinkedIn, our Instagrams. Um, you can also email us at info at farmtogether.com or clients at farmtogether.com. We get back to every every email, every request. It's really still, I think, an emerging space. A lot of people haven't heard about farm months so You're definitely at the forefront of uh, the sustainable ag revolution and the investing revolution of being able to invest in so many other things. Um, and yeah, thank you, Max, for having me on this podcast. I'd love to be back. I hope this was educational for your listeners. To you, uh, it's a fascinating field with agriculture. We haven't even touched on things like climate resilience and uh, regenerative agriculture, on alternative investments, on uh, kind of the specifics around uh, farmland. But yeah, check it out and look it's, uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't start this if I didn't think it was a great investment that belongs in everyone's diversified portfolios. And yeah, we we'll look forward to being back.
0: Wonderful. Artem
1: Milenchuk. thank
0: you so much for coming on the podcast. It was a pleasure. See you next time. Thank you, Max. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Next Frontier Podcast. If you would like to follow along, learn more, dive deeper into our content, we are now live on substack.com. You can head on over to maxgoldberg.substack.com. That's M-A-X-G-O-L-D-B-E-R-G.substack.com where we're publishing all of our podcasts from now on, all of our blogs, some long form essays, and some other fun goodies along the way. The podcast is still going to live on anchor.fm forward slash next frontier, alternatively at nextfrontierpodcast.com, where we'll use it to distribute our free content to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. Uh, for now and to eternity as long as Spotify and Anchor continue to host us anyway, housekeeping updates complete. The conclusion of that is head on over to maxgoldberg.substack.com to subscribe and follow along for our content.